When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Proof of stake versus proof of work. What does it all mean? This is episode six of Shitcoin Insider. Proof of what? Bitcoin maximalists trying to make sense of the sea of shitcoins. This is Shitcoin Insider. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show, everybody. It has been far, far too long since we have gotten together for an episode of Shitcoin Insider. Thank you for joining us. I am Guy Swan, host of Bitcoin Audible, and we have our insider returning to the show today, and we are going to talk all about proof of work versus proof of stake. Isn't isn't proof of work super wasteful? Isn't proof of stake somehow this cost-free alternative that just obviously is equally secure? Or is there something fundamentally wrong with this comparison? What the hell does it mean? That is today's show. A quick note that when we recorded this, the infrastructure bill that had the language about crypto was literally this was like the day that that was like a huge big stink over that weekend and it had not passed yet but after days of arguing and revisions and trying to get better language put into the bill and a revision that the quote-unquote warring parties actually could agree on literally none of it mattered it was it passed as is with the original language in the bill just a magical example of the stupidity of politics what a fucking clown show. We get into it briefly at the beginning of this episode, just as a caveat, so we did not know how it was going to unfold, but now we do. But that is all, and now it is time for episode six of Shitcoin Insider. But you were talking about uh, the infrastructure bill, and I didn't want to miss this because because I think this is this is at least kind of a a sharp topic right now. I mean, it hasn't even been mm -hmm. voted in yet. You know, like we're still we're still sitting on the fence here. Um, but you were saying that this is specifically you think this is the shitcoin lobby that is basically putting this pressure right now. Absolutely, it's the shitcoin lobby, Coin Center. Um, they are a lot of big money uh, in the shitcoin world that actually can spend that money. Um, in Washington, and we know that's what Washington is. Washington is lobbyists, um, you know, pushing their agenda, and they're paid, and that's and then the, that's the politician's job. They are, you know, fishing for who can pay them the most. And right now, um, the shitcoin lobby, the things that I'm hearing the senators say on the floor in Congress, are coming right out of shitcoin lobbyist books. Um, we have the one that everybody's championing as like our person in Washington right now, uh, Senator Lummis. Um, She's on the floor talking about how we need to change. So to back up a little bit, uh, lots happened in the last two days. And by the time we hear this, like this will all be meaningless because something will have happened. And these like this is like the per day minutia of what's going on per hour in some cases. 
Um, but uh, we had an original infrastructure bill, which included language that was very broad. It said that anybody effectuating the transfer of other people's money, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing here, effectuating the transfer of other people's money for consideration um, could be defined as a broker. We have to register race as a broker. And uh, it's a tax bill. And ultimately, this is like reporting, broker reporting, uh, which, you know, brings revenue for the government. Um, but broker reporting generally is it's very burdensome. There are a lot of things they have to do. Like, for example, um, they have to know who they're doing business with. And they have to have your information. Um, and so the concern here is that language is so broad that it may capture a lot of people who traditionally were not seen as brokers and force them into being a broker. And in crypto, with DeFi platforms or NFT platforms or decentralized exchange, um, it's basically impossible to know who you're working with, who you're dealing with. So that would, in some cases, make some of these things, I don't know, either illegal or just impossible to run. Um, and there's a lot of like nuance here. If you talk to lawyers about like, you know, if it makes it too impossible, is it unenforceable or whatever, that's a whole different thing. Either way, people were afraid because they felt like this language was so broad, they could use it to, as a weapon against a lot of the kind of activity that's happening now, especially the shitcoin industry. Um, and so the first amendment that came out, which had a lot of help from Coin Center, which is a shitcoin funded lobby, um, and other shitcoin adjacent groups, um, added language that would um, exclude any kind of validation of, uh, of blocks, or not even, I don't know that they use the word blocks. Sorry, I don't have it pulled in front of me right now. But it would exclude validation generally, so validators and stakers. Um, it would exclude hardware wallets, which is good. Uh, things, the hardware devices that store your private key. And the big one, their big piece that I think they spent a lot of money and were very excited about to have this in a bill, um, it would create the, or it would protect or exempt the developer of a digital asset or their underlying protocol. Now, that language right there would cover most of DeFi, NFTs, DEXs, all that stuff, creating tokens, ICOs, any of the stuff you want to do. Creating your own celebrity token and just selling it. Yeah. Digital sort of assets. Imagine a law going in an infrastructure bill. It's a big bill. Developing digital assets and their protocols. That's huge. That would, in my opinion, open up a whole new level of like legitimacy for this token creation and DeFi platform creation. It's not a coincidence that, that was there. Um, and we had, uh, and at first I was supported it because, um, it specifically carved out miners. It was a concern that miners might be brokers. Um, and also there was concern that developers might be seen as a broker and it carves them out pretty broadly by saying like digital, developing digital assets or their protocols that would protect basically anything to do with developing on a crypto thing, not just tokens like Bitcoin core. Um, but as I had more time to think about it, uh, and also there was another amendment that came out later, but as I had more time to think about it, I realized that, well, if you're a Bitcoin core developer, um, you're not actually effectuating the transfer of, of other people's value for consideration. Consideration means getting paid. Like you're not getting paid, and it has some language in there about them being a customer too, by the way, um, which is relevant because of some other uh, law that they've passed that essentially is trying to target like Texas and things. Um, so they would have to be like your customer specifically. Well, for you to be a broker, 
Um, so you think so you think in this context, like the idea of trying to make Bitcoin or Lightning developers liable for this, you think the language does not make that? I think first and foremost, I don't think that they are trying to get those people. Mm -hmm. I think though, so maybe we step back a little. What they're trying to do, and they are not necessarily good people, and I don't agree with them necessarily, but what they want to do, the government, which right now is like Janet Yellen and others, they want to um, do something about what they see as a massive threat, an actual, more practical massive threat. You know, we talk about Bitcoin being like a threat to the dollar, and that's, and it is, um, but it's like one of those like boiling frog type of threats. Um, they're not going to really know or maybe even care. By the time uh, Bitcoin is taken over the dollar, they all may be like Bitcoin whales. So like that's what that's their best interest to do that. So they may be fine with that. Um, but uh, what, what DeFi kind of is doing right now and NFTs, uh, while I don't think that'll be uh, long lived, um, um, it's like providing entire like alternative markets. And if you think they care, maybe they actually do care. Sometimes people don't think they care. Why would they care about the fact that they're all scams? Um, so like, but I think like, you know, in general, I think they probably do care that they're all scams. I don't think this is all like some kind of meta political game where they got to protect the system. I think there is a degree uh, to which they actually care that retail gets fleeced by a bunch of scammers that they cannot do anything about because of this quote unquote decentralized platform stuff. And also they don't have to pay taxes and also they get to be anonymous and also money launderers gets to do whatever the fuck they want. Like these are real concerns. Even if you delete whatever conspiracies people have about like, they're going to take power out of Wall Street. Like I don't think they're actually threatened. Like I don't think Wall Street thinks that he's going to take over Wall Street or any yeah. nonsense like that. But they are like threatened that they're... I think they're, Wall Street has been playing this game for a long time. Yeah, like, I think they're threatened by their... Like the they're losing their ability to enforce uh anything to do anything mm -hmm. to these participants they don't know who's doing it so they lose control there um there's a lot of money there that they can't tax um and there's a lot of scams so like i think they do care about those things and so they are focused and not just from this bill i'm not getting it just because of this bill in the fincen bill and other bills they've been talking about for the last year if you talk to a lot of the washington guys and lawyers that are in crypto like they really are talking a lot about what do we what are we going to do about this DeFi stuff we got to like find a way to enforce. And the problem that they have is in part, you know, a, a shitcoin dev will deploy some smart contract that gives him all this money and he makes a token and whatever. And then he'll say, Oh, nothing I can do. About Richard it. Hart. Uh, <laughs> it's decentralized. <laughs> it's decentralized. So, you know, I can't help it. Like maybe those people get scammed, but whoops, you know, I just, uh, I just made it and deployed it and make all the money from it, but I can't control it. So sorry. Yeah, it wasn't me. And, uh, <laughs> and so they want to like they're trying to figure out what they can do about that and right now you know they're not that smart when it comes to tech so they're going to take a pretty like blunt weapon to do this with and i think one of the things they're going to try to do is target those developers and try to create language that ultimately is going to target those developers but they're not trying to target uh bitcoin core developers and lightning developers and others but now the concern is and it's a legitimate concern that well if they have this language they could still go after other people and sure that's my problem that is my problem with it is that it's so hard to define. There's no clear line um, to say this is decentralized or this is centralized. Like, you know, like, do you even can say like, 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 for instance, the Dow, um, do you call that a non-custodial service? If a handful of people can basically 
cool. just take and do whatever they want with the funds with a, you know, with a hard fork vote, essentially. Um, with this infrastructure bill, keep in mind too, mm-hmm. it's not like, this is not like an enforcement bill. This is not like a let's get DeFi bill. It just happens to have some stuff that's relevant. And so they're going to fight over the small details of it. But sure. this isn't like the bill they're going to use to fuck devs. No, they yeah, they'll have... Devs, they're going to make some new bill, like some specific bill that's like, if you're doing this shit, we're going to fuck you. Like, they're going to make that bill sometime mm-hmm. probably in the next 18 months. Yeah, and probably um, within the next year. I feel like, yeah. I feel like so, this so is that the bill's year. Coming. This is not that bill, even if these amendments get passed or not. Like, that is just like a side thing here. Yeah. Like, um, the real bill, it's going to be like, these people who are doing these types of activities are breaking these kind of laws. Mm-hmm. That is going to come. And it's going to be very clear. And it's not going to be some like small language about like, does this cover this kind of dev or that kind of dev? My um, concern is that when something gets, as things get more important, like I, I truly, like I absolutely believe that DeFi is more prevalent in their, in their minds. Like, like it's what more well-known and it's more like, oh, people know that DeFi is a thing. Then it's a scam too. Sure, sure. But but that this is far more important and this is far more in their faces than lightning is. Lightning kind of flies under the radar. I they still have I still talk to Bitcoiners who don't so, really know what lightning yeah, is. And I don't think they care. Like there's a part of me, and this could be naive, but there's a part of me that feels that they actually care about what the thing is. You know, we as Bitcoiners like to think of all this as like, you know, everything's a threat to them because it's revolutionary technology that's gonna conquer their their systems. And that's true, but that's not how they think of that. I mean, like, they're not thinking like, oh, my God, Lightning is going to conquer us. Um, well, my concern what, is that when they get to the point, th- this is why I'm so against the broad language. And it is it is absolutely difficult to pinpoint. It's it's difficult to write language that doesn't wrap these things together. Mm-hmm. That does that sure. there is there are no clearly defining lines between the two. Um uh, I think, and and particularly with layer two and layer three on top of Bitcoin, it, it, you know, like what is what is proof of stake in that context? What is non-custodial in that context with a multi-sig? You, you know, like it's a very yeah. it's a very well, weird relationship, and I worry that when Lightning does become very consequential and very well known, with particularly with what's going on in El Salvador, I think this is inevitable. Like Lightning, I think is going to really blow up. Can they use this language against it? When the people who are threatened, when the visa, when the Western unions bring out their lobby and they start playing the RIAA game against copyright and they just start throwing all the billions that they have at trying to shut this thing down, what can they define as a broker? Is my lightning yeah. node going to be effectuating transfers so, and I'm, so am me, I going to be a broker? Let me try to address this. A couple things here. Um, and one to what we were saying before, like lightning actually doesn't you know, isn't running much of a scam. So if they care about something running much of scams, they don't care about Lightning. Uh, if they want to stop people sure. scamming, they don't care about Lightning. If they want to stop people from creating these multi-billion dollar casinos, they don't care about Lightning. Now, but all that aside, though, um, can they use this language to attack Lightning? Um, if we're talking about arguing between these amendments and the infrastructure bill, none of them are saying anything that protects Lightning in particular. That's uh, so, so Lightning shouldn't be the thing that causes you to support one or the other amendment or even having no amendment. Um, either way, even with no amendment, lining essentially would be the same. Um, maybe you could try to make some kind of argument about it's a validator or it's validating transactions, but like it's not. And if we're going to like just pretend like lining validates transactions for the sake of this language, we can also just 
like talk about the reality, which is that you're not actually moving anybody else's money. Um, like you can't take the money. It's just data. Like there's money that you're moving amongst your own yourself. But like, am I effectuating transfer? Uh, but it has to be other people's money, and it has to be for consideration. Which you can say the fees are for consideration, but it has to be other people's. That's funny that the argument stuff. is that I'm only moving my money. Uh, to me, I could, I, mean, I, like, could this... I could very, I could very, very seriously make that argument and essentially prove it in, uh, like, from a technical perspective. Uh, but the question yeah. is, will they listen to you that? You didn't lose if... any money. You didn't move. You didn't give anybody any money. Either. I move money from my left hand to my right hand. Right. It may uh, have enabled someone else to make a payment somewhere, but I did not. Did or not, because there might have been. All I essentially did was pay the person standing right next to me. And for all uh, you know, it was a person a moving amount. his own money as well. Like he could have been moving his money from one of his nodes to another. You have no idea. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we don't even know that there was money actually. Moved. And I can't know. Like, I sure as shit can't file a 1099 for it. <laughs> right. So like there are arguments, good arguments, and some of the same lawyers um, that have spoken in defense of uh, the Lomas bill, which I don't like, um, have even you know made good arguments that they feel uh, they could defend lightning node operators as, as non-brokers, as non-money transmitters uh, today. Now, of course, you could go either way. You could also cr try to create a case that they were. And what that's going to come down to um, is what they want. The fact is, if they want to try to use even existing laws without this infrastructure bill to attack node operators or lightning node operators or really almost anybody they want, they can try to make a good case. They probably that's can. what the government wants yeah. to do. They're going to be able to do it. Like, if they want to make your activity illegal, they can make your activity illegal using either existing law or they can just make new law. And, like, realistically, that's what they want. They're probably going to get it. Um, so, like, ultimately, like, that's the concern. Um, you know, it more matters. Their, it, what matters most is their intent. And right now, luckily for us, maybe this will change. And it doesn't matter because ultimately, like, Bitcoin doesn't have to care. It doesn't care. Um, but but uh, I don't think their intent, from everything I'm seeing now, and maybe this will change, their intent is not to uh hurt infrastructure operators people that are just running the networks i don't think they want to hurt those people they want to hurt people that are essentially participating in like financial uh like like acting like exchanges mm -hmm. acting like people that are selling you like a financial product like uh, some yield farming protocol thing where you're creating assets and then taking people's money and then giving them yield with different assets that you also created like, that's the kind of activity they want and care about. Um, they, yes, for now, but also I don't, like, we have no reason to expect, other than, you know, just out of caution, that they would ever care about, like, a sort of general network operator or whatever. And if they do want to care about that person, that person's, you know, going to have to go outside the law because they'll win. That's why I specifically um, have two of my nodes over tour. Have at all times, just in case. So, so, I got I got to fall but, back. <laughs> but with but with regard to these amendments, none of these amendments protect lightning operators. None of them have language that would protect lightning operators, unless you want to argue maybe that a lightning operator is a validator. Because in the most recent one, so let me just quickly uh, do the summary of. I where think we are in the context the of the language, the more broad, uh, excuse me, the less, the more broad defense language, the more broad, uh, like basically the Lummis amendment. I think. It is if, the most if there was a a way to make a defense and there was an amendment around like using their language to 
put Lightning Network with inside of it or a Lightning Network node operator, I think Lumis fits better. Um, but like in the same time, after- it tries to wrap in all of DeFi and just yeah. shitcoin tokens in general. If, yeah. So if they want to go after Lightning operator, so they're not going to use infrastructure building, which they're going to use other stuff. They're going to use they'll use SEC and FTC. Now that we have this infrastructure bill and this Lumis amendment, now we can go after Lightning node operators. They'll have they have other laws they can use. And uh, and I this guess is the, not the use- idea is to take away is to limit their tools. Right, and um, this is not going to be something that, that you could point at and say, well, see, this is not a broker. I mean, because like in that case, they're probably not even accusing you of being a broker. Probably accusing you of something else. But um, Accusing you of being a money transmitter. So anyway, um, so, my, so, like, so do we want to side with... And my biggest concern, though, isn't even the language. It's giving the shitcoin lobby power. Because what we've seen, and so the, um, the what I call the shitcoin amendment, written by Lummis, Weidman... Why Wyman? Wyden? Wyman or Wyden? Yeah, Wyden. I think it's Wyden. And, uh, and um, there's a third. I forget him right now because he's Toomey. Uh, and Toomey. Mm-hmm. Toomey. And, um, and when we listen to them speaking and defending their amendment, Wyden, Wyden, <laughs> sorry, Wyden was on Twitter. Uh, specifically now, so for context, more context, there was another amendment that came out by Portman, Senma, and another, I forget, um, Wagner, maybe Warner, Warner. I don't know. Sorry, guys, they're listening to this. I'm Warner, Warner, Warner is the okay. is the other amendment. Uh, I can't um, remember so, who they did it with, but Warner yeah, is the one. Cinema that Cinema and um, well, uh, Portman. Uh, anyway, um, that amendment, which was favored by the administration and Janet Yellen, which got out as a narrative, and I, part of me feels like that was maybe even like overblown by the coin center shitcoin lobbyist groups because that's how politics works like you want to make people hate your opponent's stuff and they know that bitcoin and crypto people probably will not like something supported by yellen um just out of principle and that's actually working because a lot of my yeah, friends that's about, that's about out right. of principle will not support anything that she supports even when the language was better um so the language of the first draft of that amendment which was you know, set to be passed and was popular and supported by the White House, took out stuff about the digital asset development and about the protocol development, which is the big thing that the shitcoin lobby wants, the big, huge thing. It also, the thing that I love that it did was it took out the stuff about validating transactions and it put in language about through proof of work mining, specifically. You're a proof of work miner, you're good. Otherwise, you're not exempt here. Now, that caused supporters of the Lums bill to specifically say, in the case of Wyman, uh, Wyden, sorry, how's it again? Rob who? Yeah. Why, I think it's Wyden. Wyden. Okay, sorry. I, here, here I'll, just, so, I'll just look it up real quick. Thanks. So specifically, Wyden, he tweeted um, that proof of work was the worst crypto tech for the environment and that supporting the Lums bill would be like giving safe harbor to essentially giving safe harbor to this wicked technology. And we don't want to do that. This, see, this, um, is, this is my problem. And you, and you mentioned this in, your, uh, in a thread on Twitter, um, that, uh, which, which I won't link to because you're anonymous. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, that the, and I, t- and I totally agree with this, is that Bitcoiners right now are 
in full force defending the the language and the it is Wyden, by the way, the Wyden uh, Lummis right. uh, to bill and language that would help defend DeFi and shit coins. But the and second it looks like it's beneficial for Bitcoin and not for shit coins, these shit coiners will come out with knives and they will stab Bitcoin proof of work and everything about Bitcoin in the back. They do not give a shit and they have proven it. They have shown it over and over and over again. And it's 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 embarrassing. Um, like we I representing, have, we're yeah. representing to Washington that these people have the support of the crypto community. We have as Bitcoiners calling up our senators and congressmen and saying, "You guys need to support these people because these people are supporting crypto innovation, Bitcoin innovation." Lummis got on the floor to defend the amendment uh, yesterday and said specifically that we needed change language from that one because it would hurt Ethereum which would hurt innovation. She's the one that all the Bitcoiners champion is like, oh, she's on our side, she's working yeah. with us. She's on the floor specifically saying and defending Ethereum and innovation needs to be protected. This is actually a scam. Like, this is the thing that like, you know, maximalists or whatever, people group up maximalists, say, oh, you guys are just calling everything a scam. They're like, this is actually a scam. It's run by a guy who tried to make a quantum miner and raise money for a quantum miner, Vitalik Buterin. It's actually a scam. Um, this is run by people who have already been arrested for trying to run other scammy ICOs. In the case of somebody who was, I don't want to say his name on here, was called by many, one of the co-founders of Ethereum, who has been arrested for fraud and um, uh, what's it, where you are literally like putting a gun to somebody's head to get them to do what you want. He did this to... Extortion. Extortion, yeah. To other founders as he was doing like ICOs on top of Ethereum. Um, like these are the kind of people that we're dealing with. Also, we have proof that had been posted long ago when the pre-sale came out uh, by Preston Pish about uh, that the pre-mine, the original pre-mine distribution was botted, very clearly botted. It wasn't even a sophisticated bot. It was thousands of orders, all the same amount, all the same type, all at the same time. That took a majority of all the Ethereum pre-mine. It all belongs to one entity. Okay, this is proven. Like, unless you believe that a bunch of individuals bought at the same time, same amount. I wonder exactly why they're the going to proof of stake. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. Sure because, is. Because they have all the coins. So this is legitimately like an actual scam. It's a big deal. This needs to be like on 60 minutes in front of all the normies. Like, can you believe how huge this scam has become and how much like acceptance it's getting? But like every other scam that's ever happened, lead paint, all these other things, all these other industries which were profitable but harmful. And in this case, this is very profitable for a lot of people, but very harmful um, uh, for many as well, because it's actually a scam that's benefiting a small group. Um, and it's being, being mostly used for things like Ponzi's and other kinds of, you know, just outright, like, confidence schemes. Um, uh, this thing is now being praised on the floor, thanks to lobbyists that are making billions of dollars a year on these technologies. scamming retail, and even other sophisticated investors because they don't understand the technology enough yet, scamming them into giving them billions of dollars through these nefarious products, essentially like artificial derivatives based on and backed by nothing. Um, they don't even have scarcity, like nothing. Um, billions of dollar industry here. A lot of money for lobbyists. We have these senators that we claim are on our side supporting these actual scams, calling that innovation. And then others writing that same bill who are saying proof of work does not need to be supported, does not need to have, quote unquote, safe haven, which would be the, the definition of safe haven in law. 
um, we're talking about like legal uh, legalese is literally to like give something a cover or like remove liability from doing it. Like absolutely, you would want proof of work to have safe haven. You'd have to. You'd have to. It's like, the only. It's the only real damn consensus mechanism. And so and so there was a bill that specifically, according to the writers of the Lummis bill, would give proof of work safe haven. And all the Bitcoiners were against it because, well, maybe the devs would be hurt, which I don't think they would. And well, um, yeah, Janet Yellen's behind that other one, so we don't want to support that. Like, I don't care who's behind it. Look at the language. And if we do care who's behind it, I would actually rather Janet Yellen, who hasn't said shit about proof of work as far as I know, than these guys who are saying proof of work is bad and we need to protect Ethereum innovation. Um, like, this is this is so are you just, just out of curiosity you're you're hoping for and or pushing for the warner things have changed amendment so they have? Okay. the warner amendment yes um so the warren amendment because of all the outcry in part by bitcoiners kraken and uh, bitcoin magazine and lolly and everybody yep. emailing all their customers <clears> is an emergency yep. call up and support limits now um there was so much support for the limits bill that the um court Corman Amendment has now been changed twice since then, uh, at least twice since then. It may be changed again since I've seen it, because um, things are moving quickly now. Um, but uh, first, it was they removed the proof of work language, and they just changed it to um, anybody who is validating transactions, but not performing any other activity or service, something like that, paraphrasing, um, which in many ways actually made it unintentionally more strict. Like, I see what they're trying to do. If you keep in your mind, like, None of this makes sense. Sometimes it's hard to follow. Like, why are they saying this? If you keep in your mind that they're really, they want to get DeFi, if you keep that in your mind the whole time, all their language makes sense. So why would they say validating transactions, but not performing any other activity or service? Because they're worried about like these staking pools or some kind of like DeFi scheme where like you, uh, you put money in and like validates it, whatever. And then you get like money out or you get like a yield or whatever all this stuff is. Like they want to stop that. They want to stop that. But they're trying to, they're trying, they don't care about like the network infrastructure. They don't want to attack miners. Like, they genuinely don't. They just don't know how to put that in words. But they can say, we don't want to attack miners, but they don't want those words to be used to protect casinos. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And that's what they're trying to figure out. So that's what you so that's think what that language was for. Point. But then they changed it again because people thought that that wasn't good enough. And in a way it wasn't, it would make like even like, I don't like BIP 300, but it would make stuff like BIP 300 all of a sudden questionable because that's like providing a, another service like what's going on um mm -hmm. so like it would it just be it's really bad language so they changed it again this is the last Ooh, one we I still saw. need to do an episode on bit 300 yeah which <laughs> the last one i saw says uh says um uh proof of work or proof of stake but no what but i still kept that but no other like services or extras mm -hmm. uh, language so i don't mm -hmm. have in front of me um which is still like, you know, pretty restrictive language. But at least they use the word proof of work, the use the word proof of state. But I like that one the least now because, you know, I don't mind protecting quote unquote proof of work. I don't mind safe haven proof of work. And if people want to complain, all the, uh, even some of my Bitcoiner friends who are pretending to be, like, are pretending like they just want the broadest language, their excuse for not defending the proof of work amendment when it existed was that, oh, well, we don't want the government picking winners and losers. Well, fuck you. I do want them picking winners and losers if they pick Bitcoin. Like, I don't give a <laughs> fuck about government. I'm not like, am I a libertarian? I guess. But like, if they want to fucking defend Bitcoin and nothing else, I'm cool with that. Because 
they're ultimately going to do a lot of fucked up shit anyway. If they want to do something that I like, fine. Like, they can do that. I'm not going to stop them. I would support a bill that says, like, only Bitcoin can allow, be allowed as a crypto and all that other shit is a scam. Like, I would support that. And people would be like, oh, but that's not freedom. Like, I wouldn't even care because it benefits <laughs> me and nothing else in government benefits me. Uh, and by benefits me, I just mean something that I like. I like Bitcoin. So, yeah. Um, but it doesn't make me a hypocrite of some kind. I don't know. Um, cause the way I see it though, is like, they're going to go against me almost hundred percent of the time anyway. So if they ever do anything that I agree with, fuck it, I support it. Yeah. But in this case, yes, we want protections for proof of work. And even the, the, the supporter of the, uh, I do think that's critical. Bill, yeah. Um, the support of the Lummis bill was like, <laughs> a, he said it would be too much protection for proof of work. That's a lot of reason to support it, but this is what I hate. We didn't support it. None of us supported it. No phone calls were like, hey, we love this proof of work language. So when it came down to it and they saw the support for Lummis, um, they modified it. And now it says proof of stake and proof of work. I think that's horrible, though, because if you are going to pick winners, and by the way, those same guys who are mad about them picking winners, all of a sudden they think this proof of work and proof of stake one is good. My suspicion is that a lot of my Bitcoin friends, even those who work as lawyers, etc., a lot of them are probably secretly holding bags of Ethereum. Because they hated mm-hmm. the proof of work language. But now all of a sudden they're cool with the proof of work and proof of stake language, even though that's also picking winners. Because there are a lot of other protocols that are not proof of work and proof of stake. And actually, if you want to talk about innovation, innovation will come in the form probably of something other than proof of work and proof of stake. It'll be like some guy makes a new thing and wants to fuck some around. Some attempt at some other like, consensus Now you're saying nobody can make any other consensus mechanism nonsense or except not, proof of work, proof of stake? Like, I don't support something that tries to limit everything to only proof of work, proof of stake. I think that's ridiculous. Now, I would support something that says only proof of work just because it's in my best interest and we want protection of proof of work. But I don't support something that says proof of work or proof of stake. That's now we're unfairly cutting off everything else, in my opinion. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a messy, it's a messy shit, man. Um, and and what's funny is that, you know, in the context of validation is <laughs> like proof, neither proof of work or proof of stake validate transactions. You know, I know. Like that's yeah. what's that's what's really funny about this is that's not the process of validation. You exactly. can you can stamp your uh, proof of work on invalid bullshit transactions, <laughs> and you can you can stake your you can sign your proof of stake on nonsense transactions. Like like mm-hmm. like that is not the process of validation. The process of validation. Is uh, is just checking it according to the rules. It's a cryptographic process. It's a it's a process of checking the signatures, checking the hashes, checking the the account, uh, like the audit history of the coin. Um, yep. That and, is and the validation process, and that happens with every node. Um, and that's why this ultimately comes down to like their ignorance. They're trying, but the thing is, you can see they're trying to protect miners, and they want to fuck DeFi. Like you can see that's what they're trying to do. If you can look at this, yeah. From like if, you, if you're if you've got like a good you know, I'm the kind of person I can usually see what somebody's trying to say, and that's why I help, that's why I'm good at explaining things to people. Because I, I understand like where they're at uh, usually, and I can talk to them from where they're at. And it's clear to me where they're at is they want to protect miners, they want to protect infrastructure providers like Lightning nodes, but they don't know enough about the tech to carve those people out and not protect the DeFi casinos that they want to destroy, or that they at least want to be able to surveil. Um. You know, and surveillance means being able to rob you with taxes. But, um, but in this case, you know, like 
why do I support laws that say you can't punch people in the face? Because I don't like, I think getting, you know, that hurts people. And I think that scams hurt people too. Some people probably disagree with me. They just like think the free market should, you know, scams should be allowed and whatever people will learn. I think some stuff goes too far. Like, you know, it's nice to put up, uh, to use public money to put up a rail with reflective lighting on it on the end of a cliff where people always drive off at night. Like, <laughs> um, like you know, at a certain point, it'd be like, well, maybe you should get a bigger light if you don't want to drive off the side of cliffs. It's like, yeah, or you could spend like a little bit of money and put like some reflective lights there and people won't fall off the side of it. Um, well, but, uh, on that point, so so we're talking about proof of stake and proof of work being specifically mentioned in this Warner bill, even though it's not about validation. It's, it's supposedly about a form of defense to change the transaction, right? It's, it's a, it's a form of cost. Supposedly it's, it's an attempt at creating a cost to undo the history. It's a consensus mechanism. Maybe this is a good segue to get into why like what is what is proof of stake? What is proof of work? What is proof of anything? What what the hell what the hell are we even talking about here in regards to uh, making these systems work and why they work? And what is proof of stake compared to proof of work? You know, why why is it why is it that we want to want to carve out protections for proof of work and you know proof of stake? What well, what does proof of stake even really get us? Put it this way. Why wouldn't we want Bitcoin to be proof of stake? Because proof of stake uses less energy. And so oh, yeah, if we right. even if we don't care about the environment, right? Even if we don't buy into narratives about like that energy is scarce or that using too much energy is, you know, very harmful for the environment, even if whatever it costs less. About, right? Yeah. It costs yeah. less to do. It doesn't use as much energy. It is more efficient uh, in, a, in a number of ways. Um, depending on what your outcome is. If that you, you want. take the result as equal, yeah, right. it's more if efficient. If the result right? is equal, and that's the key here. So obviously, just to make this very simple, and we're in the very beginning, the result's not equal. You're not getting the same thing with the proof-of-work system that you get. With You're not getting the same out output with the proof-of-work system that you do with the proof-of-stake system. So that's that's the key. If you don't understand any of the other stuff that we talk about, um, just understand that the, the reason is um, when you have a proof of work consensus algorithm, you are getting a very strong, very expensive, very hard to create um, assurance of a set of events. And when you do proof of stake, you're not really getting shit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the that's the simple, just in the very beginning, simple. Now, from there, we can explain why for those who care. Um, what proof of work does is you have all these people that are getting together um, and producing a work. And the reason why we have to do this, by the way, um, when Bitcoin was like, you know, being brainstormed, there were other types of cryptocurrencies um, before. Um, there was even other things that used proof of work before. Um, but none of them were able to, uh, in a decentralized way, keep track of uh, the state of a ledger in such a way that we all knew uh, nobody could double spend, so nobody could like spend their same money twice, and also where we didn't have to trust anybody to hold this information for us, and also that we could verify ourselves that the people that are moving these, these, this money have access to this money, or assets, which you call them assets. 
Um, and, and so Bitcoin was the first one that kind of put all these pieces together um, in a way that really worked and with the game theory behind it um, to work uh, without kind of corruption being a factor. Even if you're the most you know, greedy guy, most selfish guy, who just wants to benefit yourself and participate in the system, um, really the only thing you can do um, is provide more work, which helps the system. So, um, and so how do we, this is the problem. This is, like, you have to think about like, what's the problem they're trying to solve. How do we then prove that somebody did work digitally in a way that is fair, that doesn't require an oracle? And an yeah. oracle is yeah. like a person that attests to things. How do we have a bridge between a real cost and mm -hmm. a digital representation of that cost, which we've, there has been nothing pri right. prior to proof of work, proof of work. There was no mechanism for this. There was no right. way to connect something in the digital, something in the real world to something in the digital world that did not have a massive point of failure, an entry point where human error could be entered into an authority, et cetera, et cetera. Same. This the reason. Yeah. This the reason paper paper money that was quote unquote redeemable for gold was always corrupted, was always abused, is because of that that gap between the physical digital. I mean, the physical gold and the digital unit that represented it, or the virtual unit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So so so, and that's and like if anybody could think of something, it'd be huge, and it was huge um, because it's a big problem. Because anything you can think of, like if you sat there and brainstormed, I guarantee you anything you think of is going to require either somebody to attest to some work that you did. You know, somebody's going to have to, you're going to have to get somebody's opinion as to whether or not you did this thing. Yeah. That fails because now if that person, even if it's a group of people, it's what the government is, come, becomes corrupt, um, now your whole system fails um, because you have, you have avenues for corruption there. So what you have an authority is, as to who's attesting. Right. And, and you also have... Yeah like the attesters themselves. Yeah. Um, so, and, and their own incentives, you know, maybe misaligned. So, but what Bitcoin did was found a way to do this using math, using math, which math doesn't care about who you are, <laughs> right? Math, there's no, nobody gets to dictate to math, um, you know, what it's going to do. Math works because of math. And so what we've done with proof of work is we've essentially math taken- Math works because of math. I'm going to use that. Yeah, we've, we've essentially taken um, these really hard to solve problems. You probably heard of like the Sudoku, Bitcoin is a Sudoku machine, whatever. You take these, these really hard to solve problems, statistically hard to solve problems. The simplest way to think of it is like rolling a dice. Um, you roll a six side dice and you've got like a one in six chance of hitting either any of the numbers. Um, now, hypothetically, if dice rolling were digital, you could build a system. Uh, uh, based on dice rolls, if you could prove, you know, that those dice rolls happened somehow. Um, and like if you if there was something you wanted to happen with a one six probability, you know, you got it there. But proof of work takes problems that are provably hard to solve, uh, finding these very rare strings in very, very large uh, amongst very large amount of numbers, basically, like gazillion, like, like order, like, I don't know, it's like size of the atoms in the universe types of types of the, si the size of potential options versus the number of valid options of options that actually fulfill the rules is the the, the ratio is massive um so yeah so you know that if you find one of these solutions to one of these very hard problems um there's no like smart way to find it the only way to find these 
these very rare numbers, essentially, they're not numbers, they're strings, they're hashes, to just be more accurate. Um, uh, so the only way to find these very rare hashes um, is to just try gazillions of hashes over and over and over and over again. And by chance, which can be measured with statistics uh, or probability, by chance, you will find some extremely rare uh, output. And if you find that extremely rare output, it's proof that you must have tried a fuck ton of times to get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or at least probabilistically true. Probabilistically. Sure. To, to the you point that... You can get lucky and, and, and get it early, and that happens sometimes. But it's okay, because the way probability works is over time it'll balance out. Yeah. That's like um, saying I could roll snake eyes on my first dice roll, but that doesn't mean if I'm still requiring three snake eyes in a row... Um, or every single time I roll dice, it's it's wanting for snake eyes. Even if I roll it the first time, I, I get snake eyes. That doesn't mean that my, my probability to do that again is the same as it was the first time. So I might right. take me it might take me fifty rolls the second time, and then ten rolls the third time, and then eighteen rolls the fourth time, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually, after I've done this enough times, and I've got a hundred snake eyes. Um, uh, what I've got is essentially the exact st statistical uh, probability of me rolling sna snake eyes through the averages of all my different attempts. And that's and how so that's how proof of work gives some quote unquote guaranteed cost is that, you know, how many dice rolls it will take to get out this exact string. Yeah. And so right now what we have with Bitcoin is we have a way to prove, even though I cannot see all the computation that's being done, there's a way that I can see, I can see these very rare numbers and I can verify them for myself. But essentially it's a hash of the block. Um, and, and with that, I can say like, wow, this is an incredibly rare hash. I can compute how rare this hash is and I can see it must have taken, and right now with Bitcoin it is, billions of dollars worth of computation to generate this hash at an average of 10 minutes time. You can generate rarer hashes with that much hardware, but it would take longer, right? So that's part of it. We don't have to get too deep into like, that's how Bitcoin works, period. But yeah. Um, yeah. essentially we can prove ourselves without any third party, just with math. We can prove that the fact that these rare hashes are being found on average every 10 minutes means that there's billions of dollars worth of hardware looking for these hashes. That's very, very, very powerful. It's very, very, very meaningful. Nobody can copy paste the Bitcoin code and generate blocks that have that kind of assurance without actually doing the work. You can't just yeah. like program like a fake hash because the users can verify it. The users can like, and there's no way to generate those hashes. And the cost is real. Hardware. That's the, cost, the key. Yeah. The cat, that's the key is that the cost hash. is real and the cost is not within the system. The cost is simply proven. It's simply verified by the system, um, which which is uh, and maybe we should go ahead and get into proof of work. We will, yeah. As to uh, excuse me, uh, proof so, of stake. As to why this is not it's not the same relationship with proof of stake. Um, but I might right. be getting ahead. This, of is, this is a very powerful thing because it proves to us without third parties, without a shadow of a doubt, we know work was done. It's actually proof of work. It's what it really is. It's proof that work was done. Um, so proof of stake, why can't proof of stake do the same thing? The problem that proof of work proponents have with proof of work 
is they see that proof of stake um, components. You mean that search of ran they search of that rare value. They see that as a waste. They see that computation that was done as a waste of energy because it's it's not actually doing anything, quote unquote, other than proving uh, that it was spent um, to solve this, you know, to, to find this, uh, solve this puzzle. Now, so proof of stake does to, to, to get around that is it just says, and proof of stake could have been done, by the way, any, at any time in the past. Like proof of stake is what we already had. That's how software worked. That's how the world worked before. It's essentially how stocks it's, work. Like, yeah, it essentially says, proof of stake around a company. I'm going to create these tokens. I'm going to create this protocol that creates these tokens. Um, I'm making them out of thin air. And whoever has the most of the tokens um, gets most of the money and most of the power. Um, so, okay. <laughs> uh, that should be enough for most people to know why it's not a good idea, but we can get into it because it does have nuance here. Um, what Proof of Stake is doing is saying whoever has the quote-unquote money, and it's not, remember, any money. It's specifically this money that was created by this system. Whoever has this money gets to um, kind of be the one that says uh, who is right and who is wrong. And also, generally, the way proof-of-stake systems are set up, um, the same way that mining pays you when you win the reward, that's why people spend all that work to mine, uh, is because when they win, they get paid. Um, and so proof-of-stake is the same. Um, they win by having the most of the assets from that protocol which you know the creator of that protocol is going to have the most of usually. Um, yeah, that's one of by... the big. That's one of the big caveats that mm -hmm. is almost never addressed. Is that so many of these proof of stake coins or these IC these things that started as ICOs issued themselves all the tokens to begin with? So you're they're saying that oh this means they have the highest investment. Well, what if they got that investment for free? What if they're the creators that actually printed themselves the tokens for nothing, and now they're the ones who've just what they've done is they've just created a system where they own everything and then they have dictated a consensus mechanism that says they run it because mm -hmm. they own everything. Well, um, we can do the same with a cloud server. Um, it's no different. We just denominated the ownership in terms of software token rather than like some permission in a database. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Like, uh, sign, if you is, sign make, enough tokens and you have admin access. <laughs> yeah. If you want to make a, a, a shit coin yourself out of thin air and you... If you want to do it fair, where it's actually decentralized, where people actually run it, um, you do proof of work. Um, and the reason why is because like that's everybody working together, no permissions, no like authority, nobody says like, well, you need to use this asset that I made. Like anybody can use their computation or even their other consensus algorithms that exist out there. They'll use hard drives or whatever. Like nobody can, uh, anybody can can participate in that equally. And if you have the most work, however the work is done, um, then you are the winner. You get paid by the system. And even the one who created it, if they want to compete and if they want to get the assets from that protocol, they also have to do the work on the same playing ground or playing field as everybody else. So, you know, it, they, don't get a, they don't get a shortcut. Unless, of course, they made tokens for themselves in the beginning, which many people do. Um, but apart from that, the proof of work piece, they have to work just as hard as everybody else the same cost as everybody else to generate the asset. Um, proof of stake does not share that in common at all, of course. Um, and so if you wanted to make a system that you knew you could control, you'd make a proof of stake. If, if, if Guy and I wanted to make our own shitcoin 
and we and we wanted to control it. And we didn't want it to be fair. We didn't want it to be open. We would definitely do proof of stake. It also has a lot less overhead because we don't have to worry about um, having any mining infrastructure. We could literally do it on our laptop, on a shitty laptop. We could, um, like, say, okay, half tokens for me, half tokens are for you. We now own this 50-50, and, you know, we can market it, and then we can start selling people our tokens that we got for free and give them tiny little proportions of the governance according to how much we wanted them to have, according to how much we sold. Um, also, with this, if you did have some, let's say, like widely used, and let's even say that it was more, quote unquote, decentralized in terms of ownership, um, there would be nothing stopping somebody from literally copy pasting the entire thing. With Bitcoin, you can copy paste the code, but you can't copy paste the work that proved that it's the real deal. But you can't, if you alter anything in the history or the data of that chain, all of the proof of work is simply null and void. So you have to mm -hmm. do the proof of work again. Whereas with signatures, if all you're doing is signing, you can copy, which is what proof of stake does is you sign. Um, you can copy the entire chain from start to finish, change something in the middle, and then just re-sign all of the stuff with your with your dominant signature from then on out, and it does not cost anything. So th this is something that they refer to in proof of stake in all of the, the cryptographic papers, like breaking down its security model, is this is called the, oh shit, there is like a specific term. Well, I, can, I think of it as like the mini blockchains attack, is there's no real cost to creating an entirely separate and different blockchain. Um, so not only can you produce an alternative to try to fork it, but you can produce thousands of them. And um, you can produce arbitrary, anything you want, because it's free. Yeah. There's no cost. The validation has no cost. So, um, you know, we could, I could create a chain that looks like it's a million years old, because it's got a million years worth of signed blocks, and they're time-stamped back a million years ago, and they would have the timestamp on them and everything, like such and such, like a million, a million BC <laughs> on the timestamp, and you could verify it for yourself, the timestamp, and look, it's got a signature. Like, you can't do that proof of work, though. If you did it with proof of work, you could look at the amount of work done and you could say, well, I could have done that much work, you know, in two weeks. So it's probably not actually a million year old chain. Um, but if you look at like Bitcoin's proof of work, aliens could come from outer space that no idea what we're doing or anything about us. They could look at the Bitcoin chain and they would see for themselves the work that's in it. They would see for themselves how much energy has been used to to kind of vouch for this history of events not only that you can of course verify the signatures within the blocks but like there's some, it's it's real it's a real thing um proof of stake is just it's just pretend um it's just like not only that but we can get into like if you want to attack a proof of a stake network versus proof of work network very 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 easy um we've seen well we've seen it i was about to say we've seen this in in action multiple times uh, Steam was one of the most popular proof-of-stake things in its heyday. It was a massive uh, kind of decentralized um, uh, social, social media, media platform basically, yeah. where you had these tokens. It was like Reddit with, with tokens. Um, and uh, Justin Sun, the guy who runs Tron, he wanted to acquire it um, like as a business. He bought, he bought BitTorrent. He likes to buy these, these things. And in order to buy it, um, he would have needed the majority of the stakers 
to essentially vote for him or vote for his uh, new validators or rules. And he was able to do this without even getting a majority of the tokens. He did it simply by talking to the exchanges who held. I would say to start off with how this how this actually got kind of got kicked off was that he purchased the Steemit Foundation, the 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 the, the quote unquote foundation of that was running Steam and basically doing all the development, and everything. He purchased it, and they had a forty percent stake, so they already had a huge, significant vote. And then the they use a it's something referred to as delegated proof of stake, which means that you can delegate who you want your signer to be on your behalf. And the other, because they knew Justin uh, that, you know, Tron, Tron God was trying to actually take over and change what they were doing was, you know, that he wanted to own the network. The, the rest of the DPOS, the, uh, the rest of the signers tried to essentially undo it. They tried to evict his 40% signature from the stake, which I think kind of on the whole, like just, just in a general sense, you shouldn't be able to 60% of the vote should not be able to make 40% non-existent, like, like lock it up or something like, which I thought was really, really weird in the context of like what was going on in steam. But then that that's when he went to the exchanges. So, so lay this out because this is just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And so he was able to use exchanges in combination with the foundation um, to essentially use other people's tokens to take over control of the entire protocol. It's um, Hobie, and- Hobie, Binance, and Poloniex. Um, they use customer funds. They use customer Steam to stake for Tron in order to have the majority vote so that they could... It was a, it was a hostile takeover. So he did no. not have the stake. They didn't have the actual stake. They used other people's stake because custodians can just sign on whoever's behalf and all the power, all the power rests in the people who hold the coins. And, uh, and they actually have, they have authority. They have authority over the history and the route that the network takes through that. Um, and I believe those are, those are the three exchanges um, predominantly, but I think Binance was kind of like the key player. Last time I checked, by the way, and this is a great point, a good segue to this. The way that Ethereum 2 is going to work, um, you, as a user, you're supposed to have 32 Ethereum minimum and run your own hardware and all this stuff. Um, Or instead of doing all that, you can just delegate your tokens to a pool, which will stake on your behalf and pay you. And more so than that, and there's some great threads about this on Twitter, um, this is getting off to a little bit of the weeds here, but um, there will be incentives to give your Ethereum to a pool because they will give you basically wrapped staked Ethereum that will generate yield, but you'll still get to use it like Ethereum. You'll get to spend it, play with it. So what this means is any rational actor who's not trying to be, you know, who isn't just trying to like be, do what's best for the network and is doing what's best for himself, um, which is what people do, um, is going to probably wrap his ETH or put in a pool on an exchange. Um, and that means giving his control, his vote to somebody else. So, and even right now, the most popular ETH2 staking pools, last I checked, I think they were over 85% of all the ETH in a single pool. Holy crap. Yeah. Holy um, crap. And it's going to be worse than that. It's going to be very, very, very concentrated because one, a lot of people might not have 32 ETH, but two, even if they did, they don't want to run all the hardware and risk getting slashed, run it in your home, 
and um you know it has a slashing mechanism so if you don't if you have like a hardware malfunction you will lose your ethereum um so you need it to be very reliable you need to run this hardware like very well you can't just you know willy-nilly it from your basement on a computer um so even if you had 32 ETH, you're probably going to delegate it to a company to do it for you and even then you want to wrap it so you can get yield off of it and still be liquid that's like the the best case but all of these things mean that we have every reason to expect the overwhelming majority overwhelming majority of all ethereum is going to be controlled by a very 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 small number of people um which is going to make miner track value uh worse by the way which is where miners or in this case stakers will be able to front run and reorder other transactions in order to benefit themselves this happens all the time on ethereum today it's a very big deal um it's going to be even easier to do with ethereum 2.0 yeah um, it's a lot of how like DeFi is uh it's, constantly it's, um attacked or, or like hit with like kind of the forced liquidations or whatever so that they can uh it is incredibly 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 centralized but not only that incredibly 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 uh inequitable we're talking about going to um you know civilizations since the beginning of time almost it's been a struggle between the regular people that are working and the people who either make or have all the money. And those are usually the same people. Um, because they don't work, and they try to tell the other guys what to do. Um, and the workers, obviously, usually get fucked by that and don't think it's a very good way of doing things. Um, so, so even today, there are a lot of laws around trying to get money out of politics. We know that money in politics equals corruption. Right? If you... If you, if you the, nobody, I think nobody would argue maybe some would that um you know we want more money to be more freely allowed in politics i mean that's that's how you get that's like beeline to corruption and that's exactly like just nakedly what proof stake is it says if you have the money and by the way if you have our approved money not any money from anywhere but specifically our approved money that we made that we can decide if we want to give you or not um if you have this, then you have control. Otherwise, you have no control. And if you have this, you get to benefit from the, uh, from the, from the creation of the money. Otherwise, you don't get any of that. Um, and if you have more than half of it, you will forever be the richest person, and nobody could ever stop you because you will get more than half of all the inflation forever. So nobody could ever catch up to you. You'll, you're, yeah, that's... You'll be the richest. You'll be the richest, your kids will be the richest, their kids will be the richest forever. That's one um, of the biggest things about proof of stake that I think shows exactly how inequitable and centralizing the actual effect is, is that if you have a majority of the stake, it's perpetual. If you have a majority of the work, it doesn't mean shit in six months. Right. It means, it means absolutely nothing. You are, and even more so, is that you still have to redo the work to redo even any work that you have done in the past. Whereas proof of stake is just a, is just a flat. If I have 51%, I have 51%. It doesn't matter if I'm going 10 blocks back or I'm talking about six months from now first versus yep. today. It's exactly the same. And you also get 51% of the payout. So um, I, an analogy that I, I like to use to try to um, explain this because it's a consensus mechanism. 
It's a consensus mechanism. It's an attempt to create a cost so that it is, um, it's difficult or there is, there is a level of integrity about going backwards, about going into the history and changing things. So the analogy I like to give is that based on the nature of what integrity is trying to be created, the cost must come from outside of what is being defined. If the, if the cost is being defined within the very thing that the cost is supposed to exist in, then what you're doing is using the authority can change your reference for whether or not something was costly. Um, so that's what proof of stake is doing. Whereas proof of work, since the cost is external, the cost is real in energy, well, then we can know in the digital sense that something, some real cost was actually put there. So the analogy is that proof of work is like a force field. It's a force field where exactly how much energy you put into it is how much energy it can defend against. So everybody in the world is running proof of work at the exact same time. And they're collectively making this force field around Bitcoin stronger and thicker and harder to get through. And even the people who are doing the proof of work cannot get back through that without redoing all of the energy that has been put into it, including their own. It is, it is usable in one or it is useful in one direction as a cost or as a, as a defense mechanism. And there's no reusing it later on. They just have to redo it. Um, and while proof of stake is saying, and, and it's saying that that force field protects us because as long as we validate and everything that happens is ha happens within the, the proof that that force field is there. Well, then it means that someone has to fight through the force field in order to change anything. Proof of stake is like having the five richest guys stand around everybody with a gun and say that because they are most invested in the things that are inside the, you know, inside the perimeter, that they're not going to cheat it. But they're also the people with the gun. So they can turn right around and point it to people inside inside the perimeter. Yeah, um, and this is a this is a great segue to the next piece too, which is in proof of stake, if you did want to cheat, you don't have an additional cost. With proof of work, yeah. I want to try to cheat, even if I'm the biggest miner. If I want to attempt to cheat, and there are only limited ways you can cheat, you can only essentially like maybe reverse one of my own transactions or something that I had a signature for, um, which very like limits my options tremendously um, in what I can do. Um, or maybe I can try to censor somebody, but at any time anybody else could, you know, uncensor them um, by broadcasting their or putting their transaction in a block. Um, but if I want to try to do one of these things, if I want to try to express some kind of uh, control, which very limited what I can do in the first place, it's going to cost me a fortune even to try. And if I fail, I could lose millions of dollars. Okay, so it's, I'm, I'm actually risking massive amounts of money to accomplish these things. Um, with proof of stake, if I'm a majority and it's my turn to order and submit transactions, like you don't get a turn with proof of work. Um, you're just fighting to be the one that gets to submit valid work. Um, so you don't know when your block's going to go through. You can't predict it and you can't plan for it. Proof of stake, absolutely. Once you, like, there's rounds usually in different algorithms are different ways of doing the rounds. But once it's your turn, you can do whatever you want and it's free. And you know for 100% that 
that's what's going to go through. Now, the only thing that can stop you, let's say, if you did something that other people would consider to be illegal, is they might not sign it, and then you'd get slashed. Um, but if you are the majority, it's free for you to do any kind of attack you want. And the attacks are more... Uh, the attacks can be a much more serious in a proof-of-stake system as well, at least most of the ones the ways they're made now. With proof-of-work, the users validate all the transactions. So the miner, just because he puts something in a block and it has the most proof-of-work, doesn't mean anything if all the users and the other, you know, and the other miners see that there are illegal transactions in that block or it's an illegal block, it, it, it gets kicked out. But, uh, and so it's valid or invalid by definition according to whether the users, uh, whether it's mathematically actually valid. But with yeah, proof of stake... The software that's being run by pretty much everyone um, on the network. Yeah, with proof of stake, whether it's valid or invalid, has nothing to do necessarily with what's in the block, but by definition, just by who signs the block. So if everybody agrees that a block is valid, or the majority agree that it's valid, then it's valid by definition. Because the valid block... You mean? Yeah, with proof of stake... A valid block is, in proof of stake, is one that is signed by all the signers, not one that everybody is verifying is actually valid. Well, see, the thing is, is technically, technically that's not entirely true because if you are running a node, you can still check to see if, like, did that signature even match up with that person's coins? But here's the issue with it, is that people completely misconstru misconstrue proof of stake as some sort of um, as some sort of scaling option. So they use it as an excuse to say, you don't need to run a node. We can have gigabyte blocks and all of this stuff. And it's not like hugely costly. So they're, they're explicit and almost everybody and generally in the shitcoin community, um, not everybody, not everybody, but very, very generally and very, very widespread, they will argue that nodes don't matter, which means their one defense against a hostile takeover for proof of stake that would change the consensus rules or would try to spend sure. the wrong person's coins is not even there. They argue that it doesn't matter and that they should not need that defense. But they actually don't matter in proof of stake because it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you see that a quote unquote illegal transaction was passed if it's signed, it's valid. Um, like the signing is what makes it valid. It's different from Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin blocks are not valid because they have the most proof of work on them. They have to also follow the rules. With I don't think that's state. true for all of them. I don't well, think that's true for all of them because if somebody what, is what running the software, they can reject a proof of stake. Uh, but they're not a signer. So it doesn't matter. But they're not a signer. They're not a signer. But they're still, they can still reject it from the network side. So let's say every single business and user was running a node that was checking to make sure the signatures were valid. Even though... No, you can't fork without the signers. Like with proof of work, you can fork with, with work. With signers, there's no way to fork without them. Like the only box are valid are the ones they sign. So it's what they say goes. Period. They are the forks if there's a fork. Like, there's nothing you can do. I think that's by what definition, the kind of by result of their, what happened with the hostile takeover with Steam makes it real, right? So, like, um, it's a it's a it's a subtle and important difference. Um, it's literally like you can, as all the users can decide, like, okay, we're not going to care about those signers anymore. We're going to make a new network, basically that deletes all their coins, and pretend like those guys don't exist and try again. But like. What they're what they're doing though is they're they're altering the network to make themselves the signers. 
Right. I mean, you know, and that's, you can just do that arbitrarily all day long. Um, it's a big difference. You cannot go against the signers. It doesn't matter if they sign something illegal, like there's no defense from a node. Only thing is, okay, we'll know maybe, but that's it. They, I think they, the, I still think the big attacks too, though, like to, to really make sense of like, like proof of stake, I think is it's hard to, it's very nuanced to articulate why it is that it's not secure and it's not like a legitimate consensus mechanism. And I think these, the band-aids that they put on them and the attack vectors are how to make sense of what's wrong with proof of stake. So one of them is the, the old keys attack, um, or the, uh, I think it's actually like a slight, slightly different name, but it's it's the fact that if I have if I own 60 percent of the tokens, let's say I, let's say I own 60 percent of tokens and I do a private transfer to somebody else, like, like you know, Tron, for instance, you know, he buys uh, the Steemit Foundation, right? Let's say I do a private off exchange um, uh, trade with someone else and I buy all my Bitcoin, but I still have keys, even though I don't own the the proof of stake token anymore i still have keys for 60 percent of the supply and when i still owned them i can still sign as the majority signer for the history from that point where i had a wallet with 60 percent of the tokens yeah you have to stake grind but i have no stake i have absolutely no stake anymore um, but I can stake grind. I can continue to write a new history, exclude my transaction where I send it to someone else. And then I can sign a new history that, that has all valid, all valid transactions, all valid signatures, all of my valid stake that undoes my sell, my sale of the stake token and ends up being longer than the current quote unquote valid stake chain. And I can get all of my coins back. And I still will have my Bitcoin because Bitcoin actually has a real force field around it and nobody can do that to my Bitcoin. Absolutely. And let me try to explain, though, why I feel that nodes matter in proof of work, but not in proof of stake. The okay. proof of work, the nodes are running the rules they want and they are and the miners are providing a service to those nodes. We are collectively running Bitcoin, Bitcoin's rules. There's 21 million of them, 6.25 per block that cuts in half every four years, difficulty algorithm, all these things, the consensus rules. Uh, if the miners want to make money, they can mine our rules that we as the users, as the node uh, operators, are essentially paying them to run. Because we are also the purchaser of the asset, the one that brings value to the asset. So if somebody else wants the new rules, they can run a new node with new rules. And if they have any economic uh, like weight, then people can decide to go and mine those rules too and get paid by those people. Um, that is what happens with proof of work. The people are the ones that are saying like, I will pay you or I value this. So if you want to protect this, you get paid. Put um, security around this set of rules and I will allow you to uh, take the fee yeah, and say, the reward. These rules of, say you get of paid. Of the blocks within well. these rules, exactly. Within these rules that I respect includes uh, ways that you're gonna get paid. Um, and, and so that's why the users ultimately are, are in charge there because um, you, as a miner, you're just doing what the users value and getting paid by that. And if you think someone, if you want to get money from some other user that values something else, you're free to do that um, and get paid by that guy or his friends or whatever. Proof of stake, though, um, it's not about the rules. It's about the signers. The only thing you can do as a user running a node is to pick different signers. You don't get to pick different rules. 
Um, and you you don't even necessarily pick the signers because you're opting into something that already has the distribution. Now, if you created the thing from scratch, then yes, you pick the signers. You can make it yourself. You can make it your friends. You can make it whoever. But whatever those signers sign is the rules. If there's going to be a fork, it's because all the signers signed different rules or a block with different rules. And they can arbitrarily sign different things. And it'll be up to, of course, the users may not value that thing anymore. That's a risk. Um, but if the signers sign something, that's it. The users don't get to say, any signer out there that signs my thing that I like gets paid. No, like only certain people can sign it and they get to decide what's real and what's not. It's a big difference. Um, so whatever they sign, if you're running software that says they're in charge, then they're in charge and they can make the rules whatever they want. Um, and all you can do about it as a user is run some software that doesn't care about those guys and cares about somebody else, whether it's yourself or somebody else. But whoever is the signer, even in your new thing, gets to make the rules. So that's the difference. Proof of work, it is about the rules. Proof of stake, they have rules that you can see, but whether or not they follow them and whether or not it matters it follows them depends on what they sign. I, I still think in a general sense that the ability to run a node will define what the network accepts as valid from either a proof of work generator or a signer. But I know that I know that also is true, though, for some proof of stake. I just don't think it's I don't think it's ubiquitous across proof of stake because there are so many different implementations of it, even though most of the users do accept it that way, that it's it's only a concern about who has the most. Well, then the chain would just stop. I mean, like if all the signers, sure, let's say sure. you, you I mean, technically, something. technically, in a sense, proof of work, if all the proof of work miners, you know, switched over no. to like 90 percent of them switched over to another network. Um, it, it would stop just, until they, you, you will, the, the notes would just wait. Could do it. Anybody could do it, but anybody sure. can't do it on proof of stake. So this is the, this is super important. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it would literally, like if the signers either, ultimately this is why they get their way. Because um, if they're going to sign a certain thing and say this is valid, it's valid. Because if you want to say, oh, I'm a node and I say it's not, this isn't right. So, well, then you're literally, that, that chain will never be extended by anybody. Because the only people with the authority to they have to edit it to remove the stake because the stake is the only thing that can you can get proof right. of work from somewhere else. You can change your proof of work market dynamic in in that in that thing, but you can't change the stake without changing the history because it's within the history that defines right. who actually has the signature power. And that's I see why what you're I, saying I, now. I yeah. don't think you can make a system. You can wait as a full node. You can wait until proof of work comes back. And you can wait for them to give up spending on this shitcoin token that's not worth anything because it doesn't have a network or exchanges or anything like that because everybody's running a node. In proof of stake, you can't because you simply can't start it back up without the dominant proof of stake. Without and somebody else has taken it wrong. to a different network. Yeah, like You're saying these guys are wrong, but these guys are the only ones that are allowed to continue the chain. So yeah. by definition, they cannot be wrong. That's why. You cannot build a system where... So you're stuck in a bottleneck where neither one of you have a cost to wait and only one of you can actually send it forward. So whereas right. proof of work you have, like, let's say you, you fork off in a proof of work network. Well, you have a huge cost to, uh, to making a token that isn't on my network. I'm, I'm the full nodes and I'm the network, right? So, uh, I can just sit out and wait. It doesn't, it doesn't really cost me anything to just chill out for eight hours and watch you burn through millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, right. on a shitcoin token. Cool value your rules, it'll get yeah. more miners. Whereas proof yourself. of stake, it doesn't cost you anything to wait and it doesn't cost 
be, we're, like we're we're even, even though you're the one with the stake. You are you're the one that should have the cost, but you don't. Well, he so, can, no, which is why it's fake the integrity. They will continue the blocks. They'll continue the blocks. They'll continue it on a different you. network. Exactly. Well, this the same network. The network is by the signers, not by the rules. The proof of stake. That's my point. The proof of stake. The network is by the signers. That's the only thing that matters. Well, the, uh, you can to, to think about like the the cost of this. See, this is why checkpoints exist in essentially every proof of stake uh, network, because it's it shows that there is not a real cost. The checkpoint is yet another like this is where when when your cost is based within the history and the cost is supposed to be the thing that makes it difficult to define the history, it makes the integrity of the history valid um, or is supposedly the source of its integrity. If your cost is in the history, well, then the very thing that's supposed to be your source of integrity is the thing that defines whether or not there's any integrity. Like, like, it's, like it, it's defining its own history as to whether or not it's being punished, which is why you end up in checkpoints. That's that's where and that's where I think the the real secret to showing why proof of stake doesn't work is all the band aids. Is somebody has to have a checkpoint. Going back to that old keys attack is that I used to have 60% of the tokens and 60% of the stake. Therefore, I could create an alternate history of this proof of stake uh, entire network in which I still own that and that I have valid signatures and everything all the way up to the current date um, or the current block. Uh, so what do you do to protect against that? What do you protect? Maybe, maybe, maybe I had those keys two years ago. Like I can still just sign. I can still sign and fake timestamps and do the, do stuff all the way up to today, and it costs me essentially nothing. And so one um, of the sorry, so dude. you use checkpoints. You use checkpoints. The developers, the Ethereum Foundation, the Steam Foundation, whoever it is, puts in checkpoints where after is something is like a day old or a hundred blocks back or whatever it is, they sign it, and now this is official history. This is canon for the for their blockchain. But what does that mean? That means that whoever whoever has the checkpoint, whoever signs the checkpoint, what if they're the ones that had the 60% and they're the ones that want to attack? Right. Then and, now and they it, just sign different checkpoints. Um, one of the... It's, one of the it's a hugely... Like, it just, it's actually proof. The checkpoints themselves are proof that it's centralized under a single authority as to what the official history is. Um, and, and here's another thing that is also on its own, despite even if none of these other things were the case, this alone would be enough to make this never, ever a part of Bitcoin or any equitable system. And that is the way that they punish, the way, that, the way in the protocol that you punish a bad actor to say, oh, well, this guy didn't do the rules that we think he should have done as the majority or didn't, uh, like, his hardware's not good enough to timely sign these blocks. Um, the way they punish in the ETH2 implementation um, and in some others is called slashing. Um, and slashing means we're going to punish you for not doing something well enough or right enough, um, whether it was technical error or uh, maliciousness. We're going to punish you by taking some of your coins. We're going to burn some of your coins. And well, for, at like first glance, maybe you think, well, that's reasonable. This will prevent people from trying to do any of these evil things. They'll get their, their coins burned. But if you consider that the majority ultimately decides um, what's getting slashed and what isn't. Now, you can say slashing happens according to certain things that are defined in the protocol, but one of those things is doing nothing. If you do nothing, you get slashed. 
So if I'm the majority, I can just ignore you, even though you're doing everything you're supposed to do. I can just not add your block and say, you did nothing, and I'm going to take your coins. And every time it's your turn, I'm going to say you did nothing and take your coins. And you can go on Twitter, and you can scream, and you can shout, and you can say, here's my block, motherfucker. I did it. I signed it. It's right here. And I can say, I don't see you, buddy. You're not on this chain that I'm signing right here. You did nothing, and so according to the protocol rules, we're taking some of your coins. So the majority can literally delete the minority and increase their majority. Which makes it uh, which makes it higher risk and more dangerous for someone with less stake to actually participate, which which gives them less incentive to do so and more and, incentive for the people who do have massive amounts of stake. And, and of course, that people. stake is perpetual. So there's no attacking. it. There's no there's no people. undoing it. Think about global politics today. You know, it started off with rules on paper that in some cases sounded good. The United States Constitution sounded great. But in reality, it's people with power using that power against other people, even within that system. So if you could imagine one of these systems actually being taken seriously, multi-billion or even trillion dollar systems with people that have control, getting together and collaborating, and you are the smallest guy at the table. And well, I mean, these guys can credibly delete your stake if you don't do whatever it is that they want you to do. I mean, like these are this is how corruption happens because you yeah. have individuals with real power. Bad incentives, bad that are game in theory. Control. I mean, the, the sky is the limit. We basically by trusting these kinds of proof of stake systems, you're trusting that people will just behave in politics. They will ignore uh, the incentive for corruption, and they will just always be honest and good and thoughtful and make sure everybody's being treated fairly because they are a good person. You're That's trusting just, that the people standing around the perimeter of, of your ecosystem, of your economy, who have all the power and who have the guns, won't turn it inward and use it to control rather than uh, as a means of defense. This, is, this should be a complete, to anybody who actually cares about sovereignty, anybody who likes Bitcoin because it's outside of government, not even because it's its its, its own thing that nobody can control. It's not anti-government. It's just doesn't care about government. It's, it's its own thing with its own rules that nobody can fuck with, that there's no way to corrupt it. There's no, you cannot corrupt it because nobody's in control and nobody has an advantage over anybody. Yeah. Um, even the biggest miner cannot, does not have any power, control, and he has to consistently, constantly work for that power. He can't pass it on to his kids. Um, it's power that doesn't even give him anything. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of dishonesty or maybe, maybe just ignorance around the conversation. Like, like for instance, every time I bring up the checkpoints thing, um, is that invariably the, the slightly informed shit corner will immediately jump on, oh, Bitcoin has checkpoints and they, and it's a, it's a, it's basically a disingenuous, uh, it's a disingenuous wording. It's it's the, the checkpoints don't do the same thing, for instance. And this is this is how the conversation gets so muddy so quickly is that terminology is abused. Um, this is why, um, uh, you know, in the context of blockchain validation, we talked about everybody talks about proof of work validation, proof of stake validation. That's not what validation is. Um, full nodes. Some people say, oh, Ethereum has more full nodes than Bitcoin. 
when they aren't even checking the history, they cannot fully audit. They can't even tell you what the supply of Ethereum is. That's not a full node, you know, like like so many of the words get misconstrued. And checkpoints is one of the big ones because checkpoints are explicitly within the consensus rules of proof of stake. If something violates the quote unquote approved checkpoint from the Steam Foundation or Ethereum, whatever, whoever your checkpoint signer is, your node. Your, your software is supposed to consider it invalid. That is about the rules. That is about consensus. Those are, che those are consensus checkpoints as to what is real and what is not. The ones in Bitcoin are just block download checkpoints. They're just to prevent a spam attack uh, back from the Genesis block where proof of work is so small that it's really easy to just produce it on a single computer because it was running on a single computer for like six months. There's like six people on the damn network. Um, uh, it's just a, it's just an anti-spam mechanism. The checkpoints have nothing to do with whether or not it's valid. If the rules are checked against those checkpoints and the rules are invalid or there's an invalid block, even though it has that signature, it doesn't matter. You're throwing it out. It's got nothing to do with the rules. They're yeah. just, it's just a shortcut so that you can download faster and you don't have to worry about a malicious node giving you false information for the first 10,000 blocks, which will cost somebody a, a couple of hours on their GPU. Um, right. We, so, we, we, uh, <laughs> we would, we would, our nodes are programmed. If somebody somehow had a block that differed even from block two or chain of blocks that differed even from the second block, and had every single other block and became longest chain and it had all the same work in it, like our nodes would start <laughs> deleting or yeah. archiving the current ledger and it would immediately move to the other one. I mean, that's ridiculous. Cause but if you checkpoint 300,000 blocks up and you just kind of use that as your reference point and it's a valid block, well, then you don't have to worry about those as long as it's valid when you continue downloading up to that checkpoint. So it's, mm -hmm. it's literally just a client side shortcut that if invalid data comes in within that shortcut, you will still reject it. Again, it's got nothing to do with consensus. It's got nothing to do with the valid rules of which blockchain is which. The, um, the Ethereum guys have even changed their terminology with how they talk about nodes. Um, so, you know, Bitcoiners know a full node means you have all of the That gets me so much. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, they used to have arguments over their nodes. And eventually, um, because they wanted to be seen as also running full nodes, they changed full node to mean um, basically like a validating node that has like some chain chip and maybe some some of the recent data. But but the but what this actually what we would call a full node, they have changed language to archive node. So you could have a Bitcoiner arguing in good faith about full node and an Ethereum guy in some cases knowing full well they're not talking about the same thing. Say, oh yeah, I can run a full node too. See, I'm also running a full node even though what they're talking about is not the equivalent thing. That name has been changed to archival node in Ethereum nomenclature. Yeah. So and even worse, maybe it isn't a, a, somebody arguing for Ethereum who does know what they're talking about and they're being malicious, but more than likely, maybe somebody who has no idea that there's a difference. Like, I mean, that's how, that's, that's how, that's how they push it is that people will be like, if you just go search full nodes, Ethereum, full nodes, Bitcoin, and look at the count, looks like Bitcoin has less, but it doesn't because virtually none of those Ethereum full nodes. The thing is, is if what it's doing is it's verifying that there was the most proof of work on old blocks, but it's creating a shortcut. It's basically hashing down to a super compressed version 
um, of the history so that you're just, you're just trusting the aggregate rather than actually trusting the data, which means that there could be invalid transactions. There could be, um, uh, uh, double spins in that as long as the accounting works out in the aggregate, but you're not checking. You're not checking. And I even had an argument with somebody once that they said, oh, well, you can rebuild that data from the, the 1.8 terabyte, quote unquote, full node to the eight terabyte archive node. You can recreate the data and check it. And I was like, well, it's not a full node until you actually check the fucking data. Like, that's the very thing that matters. You can't mm -hmm. call it a full node if you just skipped over this validation and assumed that the answer was right. Assume that two plus two equals four, and you didn't check with, that it was actually two plus actually two. You just said, okay, I'll take the four and I'll run with it, um, which is which is essentially what the quote unquote Ethereum full node is doing, is it's trying to shortcut and then saying that because they can get that data back later and check it if they wanted to, well, then that means it's safe. It's like, no. It is not safe and it is not valid and it is not verified until you validate and verify it, period. Like, it's just not. Um, and and it's it's where the, the conversation falls apart so, so often. Um, it's, it's frustrating. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, so kind of to just wrap all this up a little bit, it's, it's, these are not even close to the same thing. One of them is incredibly centralized. Uh, can be easily, you know, you can easily control it. You actually get control um, with proof of stake. You actually become the, the the leader of the thing if you have all the the coins that are part of the protocol. And it's and the perpetual. Other one, nobody can yeah, ever take it, it from you unless you specifically can, nobody give can, it to it's them. It's not merit based. You can also yeah. be arrested, and somebody else can take your control. If you're a big miner, if you have a big miner conference. And you know they try to arrest all the miners there. It's irrelevant. Um, you'd have to actually like take over all their companies and do all of their work forever. <laughs> like, be like taking over. The adversary can just sign there. with proof of stake arbitrarily for no cost, if but you did, still have to run yeah. the mining machines and pay the electricity. You still have to break through the force the field, even you if you have the, the most you know, the the most computer power. A hacker just gets your signature, and that's it. All he needs your signature. Now yeah. he controls the network or an authority, they get your signature, they control that piece of the network, um, which by extension also controls the rules. There's no, there are no rules without the signers and proof of stake. I mean, it's just- and Think about how that dangerous that is, is that somebody, somebody who was just there early, you know, got 70% pre-mine or holds 40% of the tokens or something like that, that what, what stake does a hacker have? You know, like <laughs> it's not even, it's not even just old keys that you have to worry about. It's hacked keys. That's not, mm -hmm. a, that's not a, you don't have to worry about that in Bitcoin. No, and you also don't have to worry about in Bitcoin anybody having control over the protocol. Nobody, not even the biggest miners, have control of the protocol. The biggest stakers absolutely have control, and they can delete the smaller stakers. I mean, it's it's it's, it's entirely different. I mean, proof of stake is what we already had before Bitcoin. Proof of stake is the old system. It's the most corrupt version of the old system, actually worse than the old system because money literally is it. It's just money equals votes. In the old system, money maybe buys you votes. If you're good at spending it um, and tricking people into giving you their votes, in the in the proof of stake system, literally the money is just plain old votes. Yeah. There's no yeah. middleman. <laughs> yeah, one of the th interesting things to think about, like how would proof of stake play out if the stock market was proof of stake, is think about it in the context, like let's say Apple, right? Apple is um, 
in a, in a sense, stock market is like stocks themselves and securities are proof of stake. But the authority over who owns what stock is essentially a combination of Apple and the stock exchange, the NASDAQ, the, the authority that's exchanging ownership between one person and another. Now imagine if the authority over who owned what stock and what the history of trading in the stock is are the biggest stockholders. Imagine if the guy who owns 60% of Apple is the one who decides the history of exchange and who ends up owning the most Apple stock. What if they don't like somebody? What if they don't like somebody on the board who owns 10% of the stock? How, how difficult is it for them to go? If they have control over the history of all of the exchanges of Apple stock because they have the most keys, they have the most stake, well, maybe maybe I don't want that 10% uh, signer, that 10% stake to be there anymore because I get to decide what the history is. Um, it's you, you wouldn't want that. That would be bad. That's why you have NASDAQ run who owns what. That's why you have an exchange and a legal system define the ownership and, uh, and enforce it. Um, and enforce it outside of that system is because within the system, the, the incentive is for the person with the most power, power to take the most power. Like it, it's for them to control the most. And if they are the ones that define the history of who controls what, then they're going to they're going to favor themselves, period. Um, and you can move that problem around. You can put it behind checkpoints and you can put it behind random number generators, but it's still there. You've just you've just moved it to a different location. You've moved it from your, uh, you know, from a hat on top of your head to the something in your pocket. But it's still there. It's still the it's a fundamental problem. And I, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, by the way, that uh, proof of work only matters if the users are involved. And are running nodes, yeah. Um, because yeah, that's a good point. for example, right now Ethereum is technically proof of work, but it doesn't matter because nobody. If runs people a node, aren't checking the work, <laughs> well, nobody runs a node. So yeah. when they want to make a change, they can make any change they want, including deleting all the miners. Uh, when Ethereum 2.0 comes out, they're essentially cutting off all those miners, and there's not a damn thing the miners can do about it because they are in absolute control over what rules are being run. Um, when they perform hard forks, they're in absolute control over what rules are being run. Um, when they move everybody off of the entire network and tell everybody to stop trading and just you know, censor one hacker and then move the entire thing to a new chain, like they can do that because they're in control of, of, of what's being run. So even with proof of work, um, if it's centralized to a few nodes, um, then you know, it doesn't mean shit. Um, so that's why also I think one of the most, up. yeah. And I think one of the most beautiful things about uh, proof of stakes vulnerabilities is that one of the, so checkpoints have been a way, a bandaid to get around this proof of stake problem and the old keys and the hacked keys problem. And then uh, there've been a handful of other, you know, delegated proof of stake, um, uh, the pools, like there's been all sorts of ways to bandaid around the fundamental issue of the cost coming from within the thing that you're defining the cost. Um, uh, but one of the funny things is one of the other band-aids is a random number generator is that within the protocol, there is a, there is a random chance that your signature, even if you have the majority of it is, um, is not valid. Uh, and, and that you simply aren't chosen as a validator or as a, as, as a valid staker for this round. 
So it's an attempt to get around yet again, this continuous problem of just moving the goalposts and moving the, the, the fundamental issue, moving it around so that it's really hard to find. So this obscured, but what happens when, uh, when they have to have a random number generator in order to have a valid signature? Well, then it's like rolling a dice. You, you can just roll a dice over and over and over again until that random number generator, that random die simply gives you that signature, that 60% signature like you want. And you'll just keep rolling, rolling the dice and you can produce a history in which it favors you every single time because you keep trying over and over and over again until you are favored and then you sign and you move forward. So you still can do it. But what happened? What, what, what did you just do? You turned proof of stake into proof of work. You just created a centralized proof of work where somebody can cheat proof of stake by using a real cost, the abuse of the random number generator of the hashes. You just created a centralized proof of work on that, that can basically dominate the proof of stake. And that's why fundamentally the cost has to be real and it must come from outside of the system. And the only mechanism we know of in cryptography today Maybe there will be another one, but the only one that we know of today that cannot be cheated and is real is proof of work that takes a cost in the real world and produces digital integrity. Um, and uh, it's it's I always thought that was in my digging of proof of stake. I thought that was such an elegant truth is that even with all the different attempts to secure proof of stake, what ends up happening um, to uh uh, what ends up happening at the end of the day, even to exploit it, is to turn it into a proof of work, proof of work system because they have to randomize the hash. And and these um these lobbyists now who are uh, the Lemus bill that all the Bitcoiners were supporting, these people are going to go against proof of work. Why? Because that's what the that's going to benefit where their lobbyist money comes from when. Uh, Ethereum and maybe other big protocols start focusing on uh, proof of stake. They're going to leverage politics, national politics, as a tool there by trying to crush the uh, com competition through uh, narratives about the environment, try to win over people uh, to their system um, because it's environmentally friendly. And ultimately, it allows a small group of people to be in control. Bitcoin is amazing. I and mean, this won't kill Bitcoin. You can't kill Bitcoin. It just makes it, you know, you can hurt it in a jurisdiction or whatever. People can still use it. That's the beauty of it. But um, this, they they don't like that. They don't like things that uh, nobody controls. I know, and it's very hard to have a lobby around something that nobody controls. Nobody's getting like a, um, you know, kind of free money from that thing for a marketing budget, um, or money from casinos and gambling and Ponzi schemes pay for a marketing budget. And this is a big scale thing. This is multi-billion dollar funds uh, injecting money into very horrible things like, like BitClout and others that are just outright, like many of oh, them, Christ. very transparent scam. Um, you know, and, and, they're, and they're profiting from doing this on the backs of investors. BitClout's made, I think, over $100 million in Bitcoin um, that you can't get back. Jesus Christ. Um, because it's like a one-way street. Like you can pay them Bitcoin and they give you a shitcoin. And they even lie about what the value of that shitcoin is, according to, you know, but anyway, but they won't give you any of their Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Should so, we do an episode so on BitClout? We should. We should. Um, <laughs> but 
um, by the time we get around to it, it'll probably hopefully already be dead. But, um, but I mean, this is a big, big, big business. And those lobbyists that we are representing um, and kind of lending our weight to as people, um, they are going to be, in my opinion, a bigger threat to us than Janet Yellen. These are going to be the ones that are feeding these politicians that are now on the floor of the Congress saying, we need to protect Ethereum innovation. Lummis, one that's our Bitcoin champion, um, that people are telling me, oh, you need to support Lummis because she's fought so hard for us. Um, on the floor saying Bitcoin, in it, or sorry, Ethereum innovation. Um, Lyman saying, oh, proof of work. We can't afford to give proof of work this horrible tech uh, safe haven by supporting a bill with the wording proof of work in it. Um, uh, these are the people who we are getting behind and making phone calls for and lending our political, what our power as people to, um, who are ultimately going to turn around and sell Washington like, hey, uh, the big crypto lobby, all the people that support crypto, that's us. And by the way, we all think that proof of work is bad. And so we as the crypto community would love to just, uh, you know, focus on environmentally friendly solutions um, that don't hurt the environment. That's Yeah, I know, do think that's a risk. The, the speed, the spe as soon as that proof of work language came out, the speed with which crypto threw Bitcoin under the bus, the, the, the shitcoin community were like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, screw Bitcoin uh, was alarming. I was like, you know what? Like, not, do you no. want do you want the Bitcoiners to actually they, have your they back? They, you know, because that, that they, God, that pisses me off. If they, you know, there's a lot it's of like you're full there. of shit. If you want, if you think this is about freedom, if you think this is about <laughs> no, you are protecting your you're protecting your yield DeFi bullshit centralized scam. Um, like God, that, God, that there's pisses a lot of money there, and, and 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 more of that money may end up going into Washington. More of that shitcoin money may end up going into Washington. And they very well could, you know, easily win Washington. Uh, bad guys often do win in Washington. Whoever's got the biggest lobby can win Washington. Not that that matters. Bitcoin goes on and people support Bitcoin because of what it is. It's the only thing that actually has any real value. And I think even the people who support, who aren't, the ones who aren't making the money, investing in these things and getting the pre-sale deals, um, the, 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 the end user, the dumb guy who thinks he's going to, you know, get rich off whatever bullshit token and whatever bullshit yield, that guy's going to get fucked. This doesn't help him. <laughs> and, and eventually, who knows whether he'll keep supporting those lobbies or not. But because that money is there, um, I could easily see, you know, it would almost be the default. It would almost be what we should expect. Fiat is the greatest evil. And that's also the biggest, you know, they have the most people on their side. Um, why shouldn't we expect that something else just as centralized, just as corrupt should be also, like, as far as politics goes, the default winner? Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, I'm not willing to support anything or give my, lend my credibility to anything that the shitcoin lobby does, um, because I'm not, I'm still, I'm, not willing to, I'm still, I haven't read the, I know the update, the, well, the no amendments have been now. updated, updated, like what I support, like, like what I think is legitimate and should happen is the, the cruise amendment. Is it just, yeah. all that shit should be taken out. Yeah. Period. Oh, you're right. The cruise is the one. Cruise it shouldn't have one. anything to do with the infrastructure bill. Should not say anything about defining cryptocurrency or brokers or any like it. Like it just doesn't make any sense. There should be a legitimate, lengthy conversation about what the hell Bitcoin proof of work proof of sale like what these things are, and there should be some some at least 
judicial definition of these things. Um, uh, because legal framework is at least useful. Legal and regulatory framework is at least useful in that context, even though I'd like to see, I'd like to see it defined by Bitcoin. I'd like to see it just play out. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, nonetheless, I don't think we're, you, you know, if, if these things don't survive a government attack, then they were never going to survive anyway. Like that, the right. and point of these think, things is useless. Yeah. Like, it uh, is arbitrary. Bitcoin's not going to be taken down no matter what kind of rules they make against it. Yeah. The DeFi shit will. And that to me is the free market. Killing it. Same thing. Yeah. Same yeah. thing as it losing to the free market. Um, so it's interesting. Um, we're going to keep a close eye on it and hopefully we'll have, uh, we'll be able to do some more shitcoin insiders uh, and shitcoin insider episodes uh, as, as this continues on. I want to, I want to get, I want to ramp this back up. I feel, I feel real bad that we've, uh, we've let this sit for so long. Um, so uh, good, good chat today, man. Thanks for joining. I yeah, definitely yeah. always love being on here and getting to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Good times. All right, man. Uh, let's go ahead and close this one out and we'll uh, we'll see if we can't go ahead and start getting this next one scheduled so we don't, uh, awesome. we don't sit let's on it do for it. fucking months. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, man. Yeah. And, and, and tweet at the tweet at the Shitcoin Insider Twitter so we can know, um, you know, you're listening what you want or yeah, and that you're there. You know, it matters. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. mm -hmm. Later. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode we are not going anywhere there will absolutely be new episodes of shitcoin insider to come follow us at shitcoin insider on twitter and subscribe to the show so you don't miss it until next time everybody stack sats and try to stay out of the shit peace This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. <laughs>